Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. About a couple weeks ago, I was praying about what to bring to you this morning. And it's always kind of hard when um, I'm told you can preach on whatever you want, because uh, it's kind of like, wow, there's so many topics I could choose. And, um, but the Lord put one word on my heart, and that was rest. So I want to ask, who in here feels like they need rest? I know I, know I do. <laughs> As I started working on a sermon about biblical rest, I realized I also need to talk about work. Because what is rest without work? So this morning, it's going to be my goal to develop a theology of work and rest for you. Um, a little bit more about me. I, um, I started working pretty young. Uh, maybe when I was like 10 or 12, my dad was like, here's the lawn mower. You can mow our lawn and for, we'll give you a little bit for it. And, and uh, if you mow other people's lawns, they might give you something for it too. And so um, I would, you know, mow like two or three other lawns every, every week during the summer. And I'd mostly use the money to like buy video games or, you know, treats at school or something. But I still remember how awesome it was um, when I finally saved up enough money to buy a PlayStation 3. This was like, I don't even know, 2006 or something. Um, I was, uh, it was like one of my greatest accomplishments as a 13-year-old. Where I like worked all summer to save up money for this PlayStation and I didn't actually quite get it, get enough money because it was gonna be coming out in November. And, and uh, the, the, you know, you can't mow lawns in the winter in Colorado. So um, I didn't really have an opportunity other than maybe some show, snow shoveling. And, and uh, when it came back around to that next summer, I worked really hard, finally saved up enough money. It was like $600. That blows my mind right now, that I was 13 and somehow held on to $600. I, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a huge accomplishment for me. And um, that's, that was a lot of money to me at the time. And honestly, it's still a lot of money. I don't know that I would spend $600 on a gaming console right now. Um, and it's funny looking back, like, uh, I would understand the price of pretty much anything by how many video games uh, you could buy with it. Like, man, that's $100? That's like two video games. Back when video games were only $50 and not $70. Um, but that was like my metric. <laughs> I got my first real job when I was 14 years old. Uh, There's a pizza place called Niccolo's Pizza near my house. I would ride my bike down there after school to work uh, most days. And uh, I worked various jobs throughout high school and college. Um, actually started my first business when I was in college. I, I tutored other students in like math and, and science classes and actually made decent money doing it part-time. And uh, when I graduated college, I actually spent uh, a year in jail. Um, at least they paid me and let me go home at night though. Uh, <laughs> my first job out of college was working at the Douglas County Jail, um, which was, uh, Interesting. That was an experience. Uh, if, you wanna, if you want to know the like wretchedness of humanity, <laughs> just work in a jail. It was brutal. It was quite, quite crazy. Um, and I, was like a, I wasn't like a deputy or anything. I was like a specialist, so I kind of just opened and closed doors. It wasn't anything too crazy. Um, but uh, 
I would work 40 hours a week, then I would also, I was still kind of running my tutoring side business, and I felt really busy. I felt like, man, this is, this is a lot. Um, I, I, the thing was, I rarely had a day off. Like, even on my days off, I would often spend them tutoring. And I would get to the end of most weeks pretty exhausted, and this was before I had kids. Um, <laughs> and I, so I, under, I understood how to work hard at this point in my life, but I hadn't really learned how to rest well. Resting for me meant like just sitting down and watching TV with my wife or playing video games or um, uh, days off were rarely actually restful. I would always wake up Monday morning dreading work, especially because I felt like I worked in a dungeon. And um, uh, the weekend wasn't actually all that restful. I knew how to work, but I hadn't learned what it meant to really rest in the Lord. Um, I, I heard Jesus in Matthew 11 say, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I was confused. I was like, Lord, I, f- I feel like I'm working and I'm, I'm serving in the church. I was like committed to the youth group and the kids ministry and, you know, going to various small groups. And, um, but I was just so tired. Like, where is this rest you promise? This yoke didn't feel easy or light. And maybe you can relate to this. I know a lot of people who work 40 plus hours a week, nights and weekends too, they run side businesses, probably volunteer here at this church and um, lead men's and women's groups and serve the poor in their communities and do a lot of other things too. Uh, And when they get to the end of the week, they have nothing left to give. Life is almost nonstop for the majority of Americans So this morning, I want to help us understand God's purpose for work and how we can achieve rest well. Now, I've certainly not made it. Um, I'm not perfect in this area. Um, But I think the Lord has given me some insights that hopefully will help you too. So let's take a, a look at what God's word says about work first. After God created humans, this is what he said in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And in Genesis 2, he says, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. See, God sets humans over creation to rule it, right? Then he sets us in the garden to work it and watch over it. And this was still a good world, right? Like, this world had not yet been touched by evil, yet they were still expected to work, to bring forth food for them to eat. It wasn't magically there. They had to work the land to bring it forth. We were made in part to work. God originally intended that Adam and Eve and their children would bring that God-given order of Eden to all of creation, Right? Eden was just one small spot, but he said, he, he told them to fill the earth and subdue it. Their work was to bring that order and the, the goodness of God's rule to all of creation. They weren't just given the world, it would take work. This was our original task, to rule the earth for God, but we quickly got diverted from this task. We quickly went from ruling the earth with God's authority 
to worshiping the earth and everything in it, <laughs> working to destroy it, to destroy each other. And if you've read the first 12 chapters of Genesis, you know how humankind just spirals out of control. And today we, we still see those effects. Our job was to rule creation as God's stewards, but we really bungled it. That doesn't mean we still can't do the work that God has called us to. In Christ, we're actually restored this authority. We had given that authority away by worshiping other things. And, and Jesus, in his death and resurrection, actually gives us that authority back. We are restored to be workers in God's kingdom. We are called to work in the kingdom of God, and this looks many different ways. So how do we fulfill our original purpose in this fallen world? You might think that because I'm a missionary, I'm going to say that the, the only way to do God's work is to do vocational ministry. But that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Doing full-time vocational ministry is one of many vocations in God's kingdom. One of many vocations opens to Christians. Every Christian is a priest, meaning we all have the ability to approach the throne of God and and to intercede on behalf of ourselves and others. Every Christian is a priest, but not every Christian is called to vocational ministry. Vocational ministry is a job that some Christians are called to, but it is not a better or more godly job than any other. I'm sure it's more godly than some jobs. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> there are ungodly jobs out there, but it is not better than other jobs. So how do we fulfill our original purpose in this now fallen world? First, I think we need to shift our perspective on work. Why do you work? Ask yourself that for a second. Why do you go to your job every day? Many Americans and even many Christians will say, because I need to work in order to make money. Right? So that I can pay the bills. Like, you can't pay the bills without working. That much is obvious, right? But I think that we have, in large part, this is not to say everybody, but we have, in large part, in the West, lost a biblical view of work and have accept, accepted a modern view of work. The modern view of work is just that. And it's, work is a necessary thing that you need to do to make money so that you can live your life. Hopefully, you can find work you enjoy, but the purpose of work is to make money or to achieve status. But a biblical view of work is that the purpose of work is to benefit other people, to do something productive that helps people. Dorothy Sayers was an, uh, an English writer and poet and playwright and other things. And uh, she said this about work, and I think it's pertinent to our world today. She said, what is happening is that nobody today works for the sake of the thing they do. The result of the work is only a byproduct of their real aim. Their real aim is work or is uh, in work is money or status. So doctors practice medicine, not primary to, primarily to relieve suffering, but to make a living. The patient is just something that happens along the way. Lawyers accept briefs, not because of their passion for justice, but because their profession, this is their profession that enables them to live. 
right? A, a police officer is, uh, doesn't, isn't like as concerned with actually upholding the law as with just making money for the sake of living their life outside of work. That is the Western or the, the, the modern view of work. But work should not primarily be a way to make money, but a way to be productive, a way to steward what God has given you and turn it into something beautiful to, in a way, create as God originally created you. Create something that benefits the world. So are you make, working just to make rent, or are you working in order to benefit society as a whole? Of course you have to make money. Of course, that's obvious, right? But let that be the byproduct of productive God-honoring work. And the beautiful thing is every God-honoring job out there, again, there are ungodly jobs, <laughs> but every God-honoring job out there fits into this mold. You don't have to like look for another job. You just need to change your mindset, right? You don't need to seek out a new job that actually helps people. You just need to shift your mindset from the primary goal of your work to making money, being making money to the primary goal of your work, producing something beautiful that benefits other people. Every job can do this. You just ask yourself the question, how can this job that I'm doing right now benefit other people, right? If you're a cashier and all you're doing is checking people out every day, that doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're being all that productive. But, but if you can make a difference in, in someone's life if you can provide the most incredible customer service to that person, and like, like, have you ever had an experience where you like go to the grocery store and the, the, the checker was just incredible? They were super friendly and they actually like made you happier? That is God's work. Right? When you have shifted your mindset about work, it helps you to fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. To do the job you have, or if, if you don't have a job, to, to uh, do the job maybe you will have or something, to the best of your ability. Do that job as if God was your boss. Right? That's kind of a scary thing. Like if God was my boss, maybe I wouldn't have slacked off in work. <laughs> right? <laughs> like if, if God is there with you while you are working. And you are working with God. And, and that can help shift your mindset. Do your job as if every person you interact with is Jesus. Every person you're doing customer service for is Jesus. And you're trying to do everything you can to please them. Even if your, boss is, your actual boss is a jerk and your coworkers are mean, work hard and do it well. Be the kindest, most diligent, and hardest working person there. My football coach uh, used to say this thing to my team in high school that we would always make fun of, like we would, <laughs> we would always snicker about it afterwards. And you always knew it was coming. Like he probably said this every practice and before every game. Um, he would say, attitude and effort. Those are the two things you can control, your attitude and your effort. And um, we made fun of it at the time, but it is so wise. Like in life, in everything you do, those are the only two things you can control. 
right? Your attitude towards what you're doing and how much effort you're actually putting in, right? Have the best, po- the, the best attitude you possibly can and put as much w- effort forth as you possibly can. Martin Luther uh, said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That doesn't mean you can't put crosses on your shoes or you shouldn't. But if you're going to put crosses on your shoes, that better be a really good shoe, right? If you're making shoes and they are awful and you're putting crosses on them, that's, that's a problem, right? That doesn't bring glory to God. Make a really good shoe and thank God that he has given you talent for making good shoes and then sell them. Working for the kingdom of God, work for the kingdom of God by working your butt off and doing your absolute best for your job because God has made you to work and working absolutely is a part of the Christian life. Now, one last note about working and specifically ministry. Uh, For a long time, I had actually a really hard time with uh, being paid for ministry. And for some reason, I thought that like every pastor and minister should like work two jobs that they should like work full time and then do ministry on the side, right? They, they'd have real work and then pastoring. Um, and before I started doing Chi Alpha, this was a, a huge issue I had to work through because as a Chi Alpha missionary, you're 100% support raised, meaning 100% of my funding comes from generous people in churches who believe in the mission of reaching our college campuses with the message of Jesus. And one day while I was kind of wrestling with this, I was like, every day I would, I would be going out and having conversations with people about how they could help fund our ministry. And I really wrestled with it. I felt like I was doing something wrong. But the Lord kind of just dropped this chapter in 1 Corinthians um, in my brain. And uh, I, I looked it up and, and it like powerfully spoke to me. And if I had the time, I would like, read the whole thing, because it's like 15 verses, and I would exposit the whole thing, but you would probably be bored and kind of upset with me if I did that, because we'd be here till 2 p.m. So I'm going to read you a small passage, but if this is something you're struggling with, I highly encourage you to go through 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14 or 15. Um, it really changed my, my perspective on this. Now, to give context here, Paul is responding to the church in Corinth who is actually pushing back against Paul specifically in regards to Paul being paid as a minister. And here's Paul's response. Starting in verse 13, he says, Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. There's a lot of buildup in the prior verses that I did not read um, for the sake of time, but uh, some of the points he made is that a soldier is paid for his work. He's not expected to like go out and do his soldiering on his own dime. A farmer shares in the crop that he produces, and a minister is working for the Lord and should be paid for that work. I know many in ministry struggle with this question, is it okay for me to be paid for ministry? And some have the view that this isn't work. But I just wanted to share this piece of my journey with you that um, with anyone that is struggling in a similar fashion, it is 
work. And the Lord has actually commanded that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. So to sum up this section, humans were created in part to work. We should view work as something that we do to benefit other people and the kingdom of God as a whole. And working in the kingdom of God really looks like doing your current job to the best of your ability, as if your, your boss, your clients, and your customers are God himself. Commit your work unto the Lord and be Jesus to everyone you meet as you do it. So work is from God, but also rest is from God. Going back to Genesis 2, we can see why. Genesis 2, 2 says, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So God works for six days. Then on the seventh day, he rests from his finished work. Finished work. God rested. Right? And just as God rested from his work, we too must rest from ours. There are some type A people out there who work like 60 to 80 hours a week, and they think they don't ever need a day off. But even God took a day off. God, the infinite, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing creator of heaven and earth, took a day off. He certainly didn't need a day off, right? God doesn't need anything, but he chose to take a day off. Why would God take a day off? Three quick reasons, I think. The first is to enjoy all that he created. God had just spent six days working to create the universe. It wasn't like toilsome work. That's one of the most beautiful things about our God, right? He just spoke, and it was. But it was work. And then he rested. He stood back, and he enjoyed all that he made. He gloried in it. I imagine on that seventh day, he went for a walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And he just enjoyed being their God and them being his people. He enjoyed the day. And I think second, to set an example for us to cease from working. God does not need rest, but we certainly do. And the Lord knows that. Even if our work wasn't toilsome, right, we would still need rest. This was before the fall that God rested. Even if our work wasn't toilsome, we would still need rest. You need rest. You need rest too. And for a few reasons that are pretty similar to the reasons God took a rest day. The first is to delight in God and to delight in what God has made. Our souls need rest and they find rest in God and God alone. Enjoying God is part of the Christian life and it actually rejuvenates the soul. That's one of the beautiful things about communion is like, we, we like spiritually feast on Christ and it rejuvenates our soul. It is our taste of resurrection life on this side of eternity. And secondly, to delight in what you have made. You can't enjoy the, the, the things you have made if you never rest from them. If you never enjoy the fruits of your labor, what is the point of working? We don't work for the sake of working. Our work provides for our lives. 
right? Your work is, did, did you know that? Your work is not your life. Work is a part of your life and hopefully a productive, God-honoring part of your life. But it's, it's also how God does provide for, for your life. And lastly, you take a day off to trust that God will take care of you, right? At the end of the day, it is God who provides for you, not your work. Your work is the method that God has chose to provide for your life. But it is not your provider. And when you work seven days a week, 10 hours a day, you can start to think that God isn't actually the one providing for you. So choosing not to work for a day reminds you that it is actually God who has provided for you again. And I will say it again, your work is not your life. Your job, while important, is not who you are. Obsessing over work, I think, is a real problem. In popular culture, there are people uh, called workaholics, right? They are addicted to work either to escape from their home life or to climb the corporate ladder, or it could just be an issue of greed, like they want more money, um, or even uh, as simple as just wanting to pursue a better life for themselves and for their kids, which is a good thing, right? There's this super common trope in movies, and maybe you've noticed it too. Uh, the trope is of a dad who, like, out of love for his kids and family, works a ridiculous amount of time. And um, he's, almost, he's gone almost constantly to provide more and more for his family. But then the dad, like, misses his son's football game or he misses his daughter's dance performance. And um, while this father's heart is in the right place, wanting to provide for his family, he realizes by the end of the movie that spending time with his family is actually more important than his family being super wealthy. Spending time with your family and it, maybe you don't have kids, spending time with your friends or your significant other or um, just enjoying the Lord is more important than you being super wealthy. This is a funny trope, but often it's more than real life. How many people out there work five or six or even seven days a week, then on their days off, they're still kind of doing work. They're like paying bills and mowing the lawn and and doing all of these things, or even answering the phone or, or emails or texts from home, right? Our smartphones have kind of infected every area of our lives. You wake up in the morning and you see the email that was sent to you at 11 o'clock at night about some issue at your job, and the first thing you do in the morning is actually respond to an email, like, while you're in bed. I've done that. I'm, I'm not, like, accusing anyone, but <laughs> it, it has infected even our rest. Or, even, or maybe you're a student and you're doing homework or preparing for an upcoming test. Those things aren't rest. Working hard is a good thing, but working hard at the cost of your family or even your health isn't what God intended. Many of us are overworked or overtired and we need true, deep rest. And the Bible actually has a cure for this. God built that cure into creation itself and it's called Sabbath. One of the first time the Bible actually uses the word Sabbath is in Exodus. So we're going to take a look at that uh, verse, and then we're going to talk about what Sabbath is and maybe if it fits into your life or not. God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, and the Sabbath is actually one of those commandments. If you grew up in church, maybe you know that. So turn with me to Exodus 20, uh, verse 8. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is with you in your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So he tells them, work hard for six days, but on the seventh day, rest. Don't do any work. And what is the reasoning? Because even God rested. Sabbath is given in creation. Our English word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. I think I've got a slide for that one. Shabbat. It literally means to stop or to cease. To stop. But it also can carry meanings of delight and worship. For the Jews, there was a list of 39 things that were considered work on the Sabbath that they were not allowed to do. So here's, I've got a, I've got a thing for that too, if you guys can see that. Some of them like uh, sewing, plowing, right? Uh, baking, beating wool. I didn't know you had to do that. Separating threads, um, slaughtering, flaying, um, salting meat, <laughs> cutting hide up, right? Tearing a building down, extinguishing a fire or kindling a fire. I think that meant like, if you have a fire in your hearth, putting it out, or a fire that you cook with, putting it out, extinguishing a fire. Not like your house is burning down. I'm pretty sure the Lord would be okay with you putting, putting out the fire if your house is burning down. The ancient Jews and many Orthodox Jews to this day take these things very seriously. I was reading one website um, for Orthodox Jews saying that electricity is using electricity is considered burning. And so on the Sabbath day, devout Jews don't use electricity. They don't drive cars because that is burning. Um, they, they, uh, they aren't allowed to carry anything in public. You can carry things in your house, but you can't like carry your wallet on the street in public. Kind of interesting. You can carry your, the clothes that are on you. That's, if it's like an item that you wear, that's okay. <laughs> they don't go around naked. But, uh, it, anything extra, your phone, you cannot carry your phone in public on the Sabbath. And, and a lot of these, or some of these 39 things, are found directly in the Old Testament. For example, there's a story of someone, someone gathering wood on the Sabbath, and uh, the punishment for that person was death. Like, this is serious. These were and are very serious things to Jewish people. But many of these things are actually not found in the pages of scripture, but our inferences, um, kind of interestingly, off of the work that went into building the temple. Like apparently all of these things were developed by some rabbis that uh, they like took the list of everything that was done uh, in building the temple, and this is a li the list. These were pretty strict requirements, and that, in my opinion, go beyond the spirit of the law. And I believe Jesus thought this way, too. The spirit of the Sabbath law is a weekly day to rest. God rested on the seventh day, and so should we. And while I think it is good to maybe set up rules for yourself, like I won't do homework or I won't answer emails on the Sabbath, I don't think it's helpful to assign the same rules to everyone regardless. 
right? Like if you enjoy crochet, like Shelby does, if you enjoy crochet and it's like a relaxing, enjoyable activity for you, then I don't see any problem with crocheting on the Sabbath. But if it is your work and you like sell them to make money, then you probably shouldn't crochet on the Sabbath. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Maybe you should take a day off once a week to let your carpal tunnel rest. <laughs> the spirit of the law is to have a day off each week where you actually rest. And many Christians will push back on me about having a weekly Sabbath saying, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. We don't need to Sabbath anymore. And it's true. Jesus fulfilled the law. And I don't think we have to Sabbath. Like, I don't think God is going to be super angry with you for not Sabbathing. He was with the Israelites because that was a part of their law. But we get to. I don't think the Sabbath is some sort of hard and fast law that you must live by or God will be angry with you. It was, again, it was for the Israelites, but Sabbath is present even in creation, right? If we believe that God rested on the Sabbath, why wouldn't we take a day off each week? A seventh-day law, or, or a seventh-day rest is not law to us Christians, it is wisdom. Why wouldn't you rest? If even God rested, don't you think it is wise to follow in his footsteps? I think that Sabbath is a practice that will help you gain some margin in your life. It forces you to slow down and actually enjoy your life. It isn't some magic bullet that will, like, fix your marriage or something. But it will help you rest in Jesus, which will help your marriage <laughs> if you're having marital problems. I believe this is just a part of what Jesus was referring to when he said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. But Peter, you might say, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He picked grain and he, or he and his, his disciples picked grain and ate it on the Sabbath and then rebuked the Jews for being all legalistic about it. And that's true. So we're going to take a quick look at this passage and um, see if we can gain any insights from it, from Jesus. It's uh, Mark 2, starting in verse 23. On the Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are, you do why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abath uh, Abathar, the high priest, and ate the, present, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And also he gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was not made for man, or the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus going through grain fields, right? His disciples start picking heads of grain and eating them, which would be considered reaping, right? If you remember those, those 39 things, that was one of the things you were not allowed to do. And so the Pharisees saw this. They're like, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath law. And death is the, like death by stoning is the, the requirement of the law. And he reminds them of this really interesting moment where David does something unlawful, right? David eats, David and his companions eats the bread of the presence. That was not lawful for them to eat. 
But David was not condemned for this. And this here is a bit tricky, like what Jesus is actually saying here. But he seems to be saying that when people are in need, there is a place for minor breaking of this law, right? His disciples were hungry, and so they were picking grain to eat. And while sure, this does technically fall under the harvesting law, they aren't harvesting grain to like sell, right? Or to like deep in their pockets or like to store up for later. They're just picking it and eating it right then. They aren't in truth working in the same way. Then he said something that's truly revolutionary to the people of this time. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's gift to man. Not a straitjacket that God is trying to enforce upon you. Rest from your work is a gift, not a work that you need to do for God. That's where the Pharisees went wrong here, right? They, were, they had this list of things that they were like trying to not do all day to make sure they weren't breaking this law, but they, were, they, they treated it as if it was a work, a way to earn God's favor. And Jesus is like, this is a gift. Why are you turning it into a work? <laughs> You're turning rest into work. That's silly. The intent was to give humans a day of rest each week. Just as work is good and godly, rest is good and godly. For most in Jesus' day, the problem wasn't getting Jews to practice the Sabbath. It was the other way around. It was to, for them to kind of deconstruct it and, and not practice it so intently. For us, we kind of have an opposite problem. Americans have an opposite problem. Many of us never take a day off in truth. And I want to suggest that maybe God wants to take a day off with you. Your soul and your body need rest, true deep rest. So what can this look like? About six years ago when we joined staff at Chi Alpha, um, leading up to this, I was working a few jobs and uh, just to kind of keep us afloat while we were raising our initial budget. And... Um, on, on the days I wasn't working that job, I was fundraising. So like I was sending letters and making phone calls and setting up meetings. And, um, and by the end of that cycle of support raising, I was exhausted. Like going into the school year, I was tired because I hadn't rested. And it was one of the toughest seasons of my life. And when we moved to Fort Collins, because we spent a year in Fort Collins before we moved to Greeley, um, the Chi Alpha team there Sabbathed every week. It was like just written into their work schedule. And so it was almost a requirement to Sabbath on Mondays. And suddenly I was kind of forced to Sabbath and I actually really started to enjoy it. At first it was hard because I would be like, man, I could, I could be getting so much done. I could be like meeting with new guys and doing outreach and, and I'm like, I'm forced to take a day off. I, don't, I didn't like it at the time, but... It grew into something that was beautiful. I, I was forced to actually like give time to my marriage and we had a, a, a one-year-old at the time, which is chaos if you've ever had a one-year-old, um, especially your first one-year-old <laughs> when you're still trying to learn what it means to be a parent. Um, So I've been doing a regular weekly Sabbath for about six years now, and it's grown and changed and evolved as the time went on. Like initially, we would go grocery shopping on our day off. 
Um, and we have decided to stop doing that because that felt like work. It felt like, um, especially for my wife, you know, that's like a, a part of providing for the household, right? And it doesn't have to look the same for everyone, but here are a couple things it could include. Longer Devo time, more worship and prayer, just a, a day where you can like spend an extended period of time with the Lord. More family time, enjoy time outside with your family without distractions. Choose not to work. Work will try to creep in through emails and texts and calls, through doing routine work around the house or paying the bills or, or mowing the lawn. But I want, I want to encourage you to just try to put them off till the next day. Like those things aren't going to end your life if you don't do them one, in one day, right? Choose to set those aside for a day. Most recently, um, I've decided to turn my phone off for a whole day, which um, was crazy. <laughs> and it felt wrong at first, but then it was really good. I like really enjoyed it. Um, we, I turned it off, I guess it was now two weeks ago, um, this past, we, we do Sabbath on Friday now. This past Friday, we were with Adam and Shelby. Um, but two weeks ago, we, we, did, we did a Sabbath and it was um, incredible. Like I turned off my phone, I read for like two or three hours. Most of the time when I'm reading, I get just distracted by random thoughts and I'll go look things up on my phone. But when my phone is off, I, I choose to not look those things up and I can actually like focus on what I'm doing. Spending time playing with my kids didn't feel like a chore. Like I'm gonna be honest, sometimes playing Barbies is not a whole lot of fun <laughs> for me. Getting told what to say and then saying, <laughs> being told I'm saying it wrong. Um, it's not always a blast. And it's easy to get distracted by my phone while I'm doing those things. But if it's off in another room, I can just sit down and enjoy it and like actually have fun. So I think I'm going to be doing that from now on. Not a requirement, but might be worth a try. Might be fun. Give it a shot. So to wrap things up. We were made to work with God, and we were made to rest with God. And if we aren't doing one of those things, life is going to be harder for you simply because you aren't fulfilling your original purpose. If you're overworked, take a day off. Trust that God is going to provide for you. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.